The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke from the 13th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Reading this morning is Luke 13, verses 31 through 35. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1621. At the time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else, for Herod wants to kill you. And he replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, and I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the gospel of the Lord Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. I need to let you know that over the last few weeks, what joy it has been for me to hear God speak to me through Scripture and through people. What a comfort. Many of you have been those people. There's another individual that I'd like to point out. You may or may not have heard of him. I became aware of him about two years ago when uh, uh, my little Texas tornado told me about Chad Bird. Chad Bird is a man who has a two master's degrees that I'm aware of, one from Concordia and one from the Hebrew Union College. And um, he writes prolifically. He is an author. And boy, did he post some things that just God's timing was perfect for all of us to read, but especially for your pastor today. And I am grateful for him. And if by chance he is listening to this podcast, 
Mr. Bird, thank you very much. You have blessed me, and I pray that it blesses this congregation as well. In an article that he wrote this week, he did talk about the lectionary today, and he talked about Jeremiah, and thank you, Ed, for, for uh, serving that up, because uh, you're right. Uh, Jeremiah, in the scripture here, if we're looking for the background part of that, around 570 B.C., we know that the Babylonians came down and actually conquered and tore down the tabernacle, the, the temple, rather, and took many Israelites to Babylon in captivity. And Jeremiah was warning them that they needed to repent, that they needed to change their ways, and that the time was drawing nigh that it would be too late. If you will, it's like the signs that we see on the road that says the bridge is out. How silly it is to ignore that, especially as we see the massive flooding in and around Nebraska, the middle of our country. That seems silly. Why would I? The bridge is out. I'm going to believe it. And yet, we get signs through Scripture, through the proclamation of the law and the gospel, and we ignore it. Starts at an early age. Don't touch that. It's hot. How many of you touched it? I did. And it was hot. And it hurt. And it, in my family, you know, if your head wasn't screwed on tight, you'd lose that too. Right? So he's putting out this warning, and they do not appreciate his words. By the way, they weren't his words. They were whose? God's. He spoke it. Truthfully, in its entirety, and he didn't add nor subtract from it, and yet the people kicked against it. It wasn't his reasoning. It was God's. He was just the messenger And guess what happened? As I said, 570 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar II came down and just destroyed Jerusalem. Just destroyed it, decimated it. Just like Jesus said, later on, not a stone will be on top of another. And it wasn't. And he took his people into captivity for 70 years. 70 years they were in captivity until... A Persian king, Cyrus the Great, came and he conquered the Babylonians. Now we know Jeremiah, for some of the comforting things that he wrote to his people by God's word, you know, one of the uh, verses that he writes is, I have, a, have plans for you, plans to have you prosper. A lot of people take that and go, hey, He's going to make me prosper. But what he was promising was that you won't be in captivity forever, that I will deliver you, and you will be my people again. That's the promise that we can use today, not that your bank account is going to overflow. <laughs> Even if you are in disobedience, you know, no, that's, that's not what the point is. But again, we, as fleshly humans, like to take it out of context, pick the parts that we like, and use them to serve our own purposes to soothe our own hurts 
our own shortcomings, our own sin. Jeremiah warns him of that. Flash forward to Jesus' sorrow, and this is the words of Chad Bird, and I like it because Chad, he's an Old Testament theologian. The man knows Scripture. But more than that, he has an ability to make it understandable. He is uh, one of the greatest theologians that I've ever heard speak in today's words that have understanding and meaning to them. And what he says about Luke 13, 31 through 35, he says, Jesus went full on Jeremiah. And if you want to understand that, I would invite you to go and read uh, before and after in Jeremiah today's uh, lectionary readings, because it'll give you a little bit of uh, a context to it. And you'll go, oh, wow, Jesus said that to the Pharisees. Jesus knew what he was doing, and the Pharisees did too. So what happens? The Pharisees at that time, they come to see Jesus, and they say, leave this place and go somewhere else, because Herod wants to kill you. Now, whether or not it's true, we don't know that Herod wanted to kill him. But we do know this, that the Pharisees thought that Jesus was bad for business. Why? Because he was speaking God's word. How could he not? He was God, the word incarnate which was opposed to the word that the Pharisees had been given, a great treasure, a great responsibility. They were in charge of God's people to tell them God's word. Don't add anything to it. Don't subtract anything to it. But what did they do? Both. They used it to lord over the people. They used it to serve their own purposes, and it should not be. And so when the word incarnate came along, you heard me say it before, but I can't think of a better description. It was bad for business. It was bad for their control. And that's not why God puts people in places to proclaim his word, to control the people, but to shepherd the people, to teach the people, to keep pointing them to where the truth is, to that cross, that old rugged cross. That is my job as your pastor to go and to speak God's word and not water it down and not tell you what I think you want to hear or what you don't want to hear. Jesus didn't do that. And I'm not Jesus Jr., so don't, please, if you're thinking that, boy, Pastor Ken's thinking awful high of himself. Oh, my gosh, if you only knew. You've heard me say, I keep asking, Abba, Father, you got the right guy? And some of you at times might be saying the same thing, too. Well, you know, okay, Lord. But I tell you this, as long as I have breath in my lungs and you continue to have me here at this church, I serve at your will, but I will speak God's truth. You will hear God's truth. And it won't be my opinion. It'll be scriptural. So they tell him to leave, and he tells them to tell that fox. Now, I don't know what that means, that fox. I don't think it was an insult, but... It, if, if we think about a fox as we know him uh, today, 
you know, we have sayings like, that's kind of like having the fox guard the chicken coop, right? You've heard that? Are foxes good at guarding chicken coops? But the Pharisees were the foxes guarding the chicken coop. It should not be. And Jesus says, the word of God incarnate says, I'm going to keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. Why? Because that is why he came. Jesus identifies himself, reveals himself as a prophet like Jeremiah. He went full on Jeremiah. He also reveals to himself, to, not to himself, to us and to the Pharisees that he came, he was born to die. And that he said, I have to go to Jerusalem because a prophet cannot die outside of Jerusalem. And so he is again telling us, telling the Pharisees, telling his disciples and all who hear that he had to go to the cross to complete his mission, whether the Pharisees liked it or whether Herod liked it. He was going to do it. He could do no less. And so we know that he did go up on that cross. He was pinned to it. And he completed his work. I also want to draw your attention to whereupon he talks about, uh, well, excuse me, the, the desolation um, that is, is going to happen. Your house will be desolate. And I believe that came uh, into our uh, reading this morning. The desolation that we understand here uh, from Jeremiah is that their house that they actually were quite proud of, the temple that uh, Solomon had built, was torn down and left desolate. They were sent to captivity, desolation, away from God. Jesus says to those who would hear that you are going to be desolate. And what does he mean by that? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that upon his death on the cross, we know that uh, God tore the curtain down in the temple from top to bottom. That no longer would God be in the house. In fact, to use uh, like Elvis has left the building. God left the building on the day that Jesus was crucified. Why? How? Because he was pinned to the cross. And no longer would we go to the tabernacle to meet him there. He wasn't there. It ties into our last uh, two memorial services where we read what Jesus said, there are many houses in my father's, my father, there are many houses, and I go there to prepare one for you. What does he mean? Well, the desolation did come, but Jesus became the tabernacle. Jesus is the house. His church is the house. You are his house where he resides with his Holy Spirit. He tabernacles with you. And for those who believe and those who are baptized and those who have confessed him with their lips as Lord, you are not walking in desolation. Paul reminds us the antithesis of this. He tells us that uh, where is your citizenship? He asks us, where is your citizenship? 
And our citizenship is not here on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven with Christ. And he warns the people there that, uh, that are listening that those who are outside of Christ, their zip code is not a good one. They're on the wrong side of the tracks. For those that do not believe in Christ, they are enemies of God. For those that don't accept the word of God, that say, don't say that, that say, run, you're going to be killed, run. There's going to be consequences. Their zip code is desolation. Paul writes that many live as enemies of God and enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mindset is on earthly things. Father, forgive us when our God is our stomach and when our minds are set on earthly things and not of things of heaven, when they're not set on your true and infallible word, when we are influenced by what the world says is right rather than what we know is right in your word. Father, forgive us. And he has. He has sent out into the world pastors. He has sent out into the world those that proclaim the law and the gospel. He has given you ears to hear and eyes to see. He has put the Holy Spirit in you through your baptism. And he knows that we're not going to walk perfectly, but he also tells us through Paul and many others that in this baptism, we died a death like his, and we have been resurrected in a resurrection like his. And more than that, we are clothed in his son. And so when he looks at us, he sees his son's righteousness. So, what are we to do with that? What are we to do with that holy sacrament of baptism? What are we to do with this holy sacrament of the altar? We're to share it. We're to invite others to it. As much or as more as we invite them to come and and, and learn about things of this world, which are important. But we need to invite them to come to experience things that are of the next world. We are to proclaim the truth unashamedly. And we are to defend those that speak his truth unashamedly. You can see in Christ's exchange that he wasn't mincing words in order to not hurt the Pharisees' feelings or even Herod's. But he didn't say it with a meanness. And nor should anyone from this pulpit speak God's word 
mean. You need to speak God's truth in love. And if you've ever heard me speak in his word to you in anything less than love, then that should not be, and I need to hear from you. If you hear something from this pulpit that stings, then I would ask you to come and speak to me in private or with elders from this church that we may reason together. It is not my purpose to hurt you, only to feed you on the perfect word of God. In the name of Jesus, amen.